from savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast. On this episode, we're joined by retired educator Martha Nesbitt, who recently penned a feature on Diana Phillips, a longtime Savannah Chatham public school teacher who died earlier this month from a rare disease, ALD, the same disease that previously claimed the lives of her two sons. Nesbitt shares details about Diana's remarkable life. Welcome to the Commute Podcast, presented by National Office Systems. I'm Adam Van Bremer, opinion editor at the Savannah Morning News, and the host of this twice-weekly podcast focused on news and happenings in and around Savannah. This is certainly a busy week around here, with the Savannah St. Patrick's Day Parade set to return, and plenty of talk about legislative matters going on at the Georgia Capitol. Crossover Day is today which is the day that sets the stage for the final weeks of the session. Only the bills that make it from one house to the other can get consideration from the other house between now and the end of the session. So basically, it's do or die for a lot of pieces of legislation today at the Capitol. But with all that going on, readers of SavannahNow.com have shown an interest in another kind of story as well, one that shows courage in the face of tragedy. The story of Diana Phillips. Retired educator and one-time journalist Martha Nesbitt told us about Phillips's life in a feature profile currently on SavannahNow.com under the Lifestyle section. She joins us for the interview today. We'll learn more about Phillips and her life right after this ad read for the Commute's presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. As I speak, I'm in the office, surrounded by National Office Systems work. I'm in the podcast studio, which they helped us get it all designed. It's very, very nice. I must say I'm feeling both comfortable and productive. Owner Scott Center and his team are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create great workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's my discussion with Martha Nesbitt about this remarkable woman she recently profiled. Diana Phillips. Pleased to be joined by Martha Nesbitt, who is a member of our community advisory board. And since I was able to kind of twist her arm and get her in there uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, she's, she's written the occasional piece for the opinion page. And more recently, she wrote a piece for the lifestyle section of the newspaper on a pretty remarkable woman who uh, unfortunately died recently. And but it's somebody that Martha had known for a long time, Diana Phillips. And uh, it turns out that Diana had a very rare disease that also was the same disease that previously earlier in her life had claimed her two sons. And uh, Martha's background as an educator, and of course, Diana was also a school teacher uh, in the Savannah Chatham County Public Schools. And so they had a lot in common. And just from talking to Martha before we hit the button, somebody that she's She's always kind of admired and, and admired her courage. And Martha, I'm putting words in your mouth, so I'm going to be quiet. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your connection with Diana and what made you want to try to tell her story? I was a church member with Diana Phillips for a number of years, and I don't really know how many years, maybe 20, 25, and just always noticed her from afar, just thought that she was a she was really a beautiful lady and um, just so gracious and always smiling. She had a very winsome smile and um, just, we were always courteous to each other, but never really engaged in deep conversation. But 
a number of years ago, I started delivering meals on wheels and my partner, Mayette Sims, was a very good friend of Diana's. Um, in fact, Diana's son, Chris, and Mayette's son, Daniel, were best friends. And so they knew each other very, very well. And she just always told me about what a courageous person Diana was. And I became intrigued with wanting to know who this woman was. And then I learned that she was under hospice care and that the end was near. And I thought I really wanted to tell her story. And so I did. I mentioned you, you had a natural connection with her being an educator yourself and her being a school teacher. And in the, the piece, you talk about how when she started to develop symptoms of the disease that she ended up teaching from a wheelchair. And as you started to do your research and, and your background, of course, as a principal, most notably with uh, Oglethorpe Charter, you worked with a lot of teachers over the years. This kind of seems like the uh, if there's a teacher of the century, we have a teacher of the year, a teacher of the century certainly sounds like this woman would have fit that bill, right? Well, I think she loved teaching so much. And she was a very, from the people that I interviewed who know her, knew her well, she was fiercely independent. And she did not want any special considerations to ever be made on her behalf. She would not allow you to help her in and out of her wheelchair. Or she had a specially designed car that she drove and she got her wheelchair in and herself in, which, I, you know, in seconds, I mean, seconds. And so the people who talked with her at White Bluff said that she just, did everything any other teacher did. She did not want anybody to give her a special break just because she was in a wheelchair. And she ran her classroom just like any other teacher would. She was very dedicated to the teaching profession. And even when she found that she could not really do the job the way she wanted to do the job and she decided to retire, she still continued to teach. She volunteered at Isle of Hope Elementary. She volunteered. Our church had a special uh, group of students who came to do their online learning at church because their parents were having difficulty keeping their jobs and they needed mm -hmm. to go to work. And Diana was one of the regulars there and she taught literacy courses at St. Mary's. So she really used her teaching talent. She did not just retire when she retired. Remarkable teacher. It also sounds like a remarkable mother. Of course, she had, yes. had two children. Uh, they both developed this, this disease, ALD. And you're not a doctor, so I'm not going to ask you to explain it. And from reading the story, it sounds like it affects people in a lot of different ways. It's not right. necessarily something that can be cured or really even that much treated, but she has two boys. It's a hereditary disease. Um, she has two boys that both have it. One dies as a, as a small child, and then one lives into adulthood. Uh, right. What did you learn kind of a, a little bit about how the boys dealt with, dealt with the disease? And of course, uh, Diana in, in raising the boys in that kind of uh, challenging situation. Well, but um, Diana was a super mother, and at the funeral on Saturday, 
Daniel Sims did a beautiful tribute to what he called his other mother, and that was Diana, and just told wonderful stories about how Diana was a great cook, and she would prepare meals for the boys, and she would always sit down with the boys and give them words of wisdom, and he said encouragement, you know, and I don't, I think that's a word that we sometimes forget about as parents because we're so into the correcting mode Mm -hmm. that we forget that our children need us to encourage them, you know, in the things that they do. And she was like that. And Daniel told a very poignant story about a camping trip they took when uh, Diana took the two boys camping. And once they got there, Daniel decided that he was too scared of the dark to be in the tent So they spent a very hot, uncomfortable night in the car rather than have someone afraid because she was so in tune with how a little boy would feel the first time out in the dark like that. So that was the kind of person she was, just very in tune to other people's feelings and never considering her own, just wanting that little boy to feel safe and secure. When you, when you lose a child, you lose a child to a disease and then you lose a second child to a disease. And then when you develop it yourself, uh, did you get any sense in the family? Obviously you said she was very courageous to persevered through everything. Did you get a sense in the family, just how much of a challenge it was dealing with, with this, uh, quite frankly, a nightmare that was this disease? Well, that's the thing. She never talked about it. She never talked about the disease. She never talked about how sad she was. She never talked about how tragic this was. That was not who she was. She was upbeat. She was positive. She was, and if I had to think of the word, I was trying to think, what is the word that defines her? It would be a sense of purpose, Um, both with her teaching skills and all of that, but also her purpose. She was put on this earth to take care of those two boys whatever that meant. And um, so I really, I'm sure I know that there were struggles. This is not, you know, this is a disease that robs you of your mobility, your ability to do things. So you, you're, you're walking, you go from, you know, a cane or walker to a wheelchair. And, you know, of course, that's going to be difficult. And um, your fine motor skills are affecting those types of things. But you'd never know it to talk to her. And if there was something terribly difficult that she was doing, she took care of Chris, her older son, came to live with her for his last six or seven months of his life because he had two small children and his mother wanted him home so she could take care of them, him. And she wanted to spare her granddaughters from having to watch their father decline. So, um, and so that's the type of person that she was. She was amazing. I mean, there was nothing that anybody said that I interviewed that just didn't have these glowing things to say about her. You mentioned the funeral was on Saturday. You shared one of the stories you heard was was that, what was that send off like? I mean, I'm, I'm sure funerals are always sad, but I imagine it was a pretty big celebration of, of such a remarkable life. Right? Well, Daniel did a beautiful job of, of both a, a very 
sobering thing, but also a very joyous. I mean, she had a great, full, vivacious life. And so there was no, she did not want anyone feeling sorry for her or trying to do for her. She wanted to do for herself. And so there was humor, you know, in, as we talked that day and, and recounted her life, there were so many nice stories and she was, I mentioned that she was a great cook and a lot of people, you know, told stories about dinners and little menus that she would do. And I mean, she set a lovely table. She wanted everything to be beautiful. She cooked with her two granddaughters and uh, Thanksgiving was a really big production where she just pulled out all the stops. So it was, I would say, a very uplifting service uh, that it was not the kind of thing where people were sad. Uh, I think people were were joyous at a life well lived. I want to I want to turn turn the camera around a little bit here. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, you you'd written some op eds in a earlier life, right? You were a journalist. Uh, what was it like being writing features and in, in doing journalism at this level again for the first time in a while, right? Uh, right. I, I I think you take it. Maybe I've taken. Maybe it was a little bit more serious because I had a subject that I knew well and and I knew other people that knew her well and I wanted to do it justice and I wanted to make sure that I, you know, was thorough and learned as much as I could about the disease so that I would be, you know, represent her fairly and accurately. Um, But, it, you know, you're always a writer and that's the thing about it. Even though I'm not, writing every day I'm writing in my head every day every you know and I'll say oh gosh that's such a good story that would make such a good story so um you know I I don't think you ever just stop being a journalist I think you always have that that bent well we're we're certainly glad to have your work and I I encourage anybody that is listening that, that hasn't seen the story on savannahnow.com, which a lot of people have, which is why I, I reached out to Martha about doing this. Uh, you can go to the site, uh, click on the magnifying glass and look for, uh, you type in Diana Phillips. It's two N's in Diana and two L's in Phillips. Uh, and it should come right up. The headline is Diana Phillips lived a full life fighting the disease that claimed both her sons. And of course, Martha Nesbert was the author, the writer of that has the byline on it and go and look for it. But Martha, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for, for taking the time this afternoon. People don't know it, but we had some technical difficulties, but we persevered through. And, we did. Uh, and we're glad to have <laughs> Thank it. you. So, thanks again. Uh, thanks very much, Martha. You're welcome. That's all for the Tuesday Commute Podcast. Before I sign off, I want to encourage you to support local community journalism by subscribing to savannahnow.com the online home of the Savannah Morning News. Right now, $1 a month gets you all access for the next six months. Go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out the Commute archives by searching The Commute with that Savannah opinion. The Commute is off on Thursday. There's a whole St. Patrick's Day parade going on after all, but we will return next Tuesday. Thanks for listening, and as the Irish like to say, Aaron Gobra. Mm-hmm.